Hey, this is John Lee Dumas of the award-winning podcast, Entrepreneurs on Fire, and you're listening to the Excelsior Journeys with George Soroy. Prepare to ignite. So would you say that that's kind of like the lightning bolt moment for you? And that's what I taught myself how to draw, was actually the Little Mermaid, drawing stills of Ariel. I've got better things to do tonight than die. jumped out of his chair and said, who the F is this? I remember walking out of the theater and saying, I'm going to write Halloween I'm rather impressed with your research. Rarely do people ask me about children in the corner. It doesn't have to be perfect, just do it. You know, throw some spaghetti against the wall. This is George Soroy saying to all of you, ever upward. Welcome back to Excelsior Journeys, part of the Once Upon a Podcast Network. This is George Soroy, and thank you so much for being here, and thank you so much for tuning in for over 250 episodes, including the 30 episodes that were done throughout the entire month of November. I'm so glad you enjoyed those episodes. For those of you who tuned in, for those of you who have not, you can always go ahead and listen back, especially if you are an author, and that is a big reason why we are here for today's episode. And it's because this is the month of December and it's all about celebrations. And one of the things that I am always happy to celebrate is my fellow authors. You know why exactly by listening to the entire run of the National Podcast Post Month Challenge, which also became a cheerleading segment for me for National Novel Writing Month. And one of the things that I truly love about about this show is that I get to speak with people that start off in one medium and then pivot off into another one. And that is what what my guest Tyler Schwanke has done after working in after studying film, working on student films, he has since gone on and made the venture into writing, into novel writing. And his debut novel, Breaking In, has come out recently this year from Blackstone Publishing. I'm really excited to not only talk to him about it, but also looking forward to talking to him about the source material, because a lot of what is in this book comes from his experience in film school. So if you are a film lover, this is the kind of book you definitely want to read. And it is my pleasure to introduce, to talk all all about it, Tyler Schwanke. Tyler, how are you, sir? I'm good. How are you, George? I am doing great. Thank you so much for, for being here. It's a real pleasure. And once again, a big shout out to Podmatch for linking us together. I have had many interviews, many guests come on thanks to that app. And it's something that I cannot recommend more. Absolutely. Yeah, no, I just want to kind of echo that as well. A friend of mine, Robert Kerbeck, who's got a, a book out called Ruse, Lying Your Way from Wall Street to Hollywood. It's a very mm. entertaining kind of memoir but he introduced me to Podmatch, and yeah, it's been it's been a lot of fun. So yeah, if you're a new author and you're just kind of looking to to get some some press, just kind of get the word out. It's absolutely a, a fantastic way to to meet with people, do some networking, and get some exposure. So absolutely, and yeah, it's a pleasure to be here today. Awesome, awesome. So so tell us a little bit about the book Breaking In before we before we dive right into your story. Absolutely. So Breaking In is what I call a comic a coming of age comic caper so really it's kind of twofold it's kind of my favorite genres number one is i've always just been uh, a sucker for the coming of age story uh, you know kind of the, the young adults and i think there's so many different avenues you know you can do it you know i think like some of my favorite books growing up was like louis sekar dogs don't tell jokes uh, that's a deep cut for the 90s kids but <laughs> 
And then, you know, just even like Stephen King doing like The Body, you know, which was later Stand mm-hmm. By Me, uh, Perks of Being a Wallflower. You know, there's so many different I mean, people think coming of age, it can really kind of take different avenues. So I wanted to write about someone, a high schooler that was really into filmmaking that had a, a strong love of film because I have, I have been in love with filmmaking and just movies since I was a little kid. Like one of my earliest memories is seeing the rescuers down under and, you know, seeing on that big screen, the, the scene where the big Eagle catches the kid in the waterfall and mm. <laughs> spreads its wings out. Anyway, that just you yeah. know, really stuck with me and blender of it all. Yeah, absolutely. So I wanted to kind of, capture that and talk about a student who's really trying to make her transition from high school into, you know, going, what's, what's the path and what's the different avenue? Cause there's a lot of different ways that you can do it. Yeah. Uh, you know, going to film school, going just right into sets, you know, being, you know, free, you know, intern or a PA. And then I wanted to combine that with one of my other favorite genres, which is the heist movie. And, nice. you know, but also I think the heist formula can be it's translated a lot into a lot of different kind of movies that are not necessarily heists it's like so my favorite movie of all time is because i'm a product of my environment is back to the future and like back to the future and Mm -hmm. robert zemeckis uses this in his back to the future movies but then also what was the one he did about the the guy who walks in the twin towers i think called like the walk it's all about yeah yeah, it's all about a plan right Mm -hmm. so you know there's a problem Marty gets sent back in time. He finds Doc in 1955. And then the rest of it is coming together and putting together the perfect plan. Hijinks ensue. And mm-hmm. almost doesn't work, right? Spoiler, yeah. he does get back. But, you know, like, so that kind of formula I've always really loved. And, yeah. you know, in like 2000s, you know, Ocean's Eleven came out. And I remember seeing that in high school, absolutely loving it. Starting to watch mm-hmm. more heist movies. And then for this, when I had the idea... I started doing more research. And so if you've ever been like just kind of curious about learning like how heist movies have evolved, because they really evolved from like the 1940s and 30s noir films. And Mm -hmm. they kind of came like their own genre really in the 1950s is established with with Asphalt Jungle, um, which is a John Huston film. And it's like one of the early Marilyn Monroe movies. But Mm -hmm. anyway, so like just that kind of stuff has been really fascinating to me and so I did a lot of research on the genre, which my character, Millie Blumquist out of Fargo, North Dakota, she, she uses a lot of that as well. And so she's, you know, stuck with a problem. A, she went to a film school in New York. She has her, her script that is, is a very promising script. And she goes to a film school where they have like a film competition where it's like you and a crew, you make a short film and then you submit a feature length script. And then at the end of the summer, they you play all the films and whoever wins essentially gets like a, I think it's like half a million dollar budget or $250,000 budget wow. uh, to make that, you know, short film into a feature. And you mm-hmm. see that with like short term 12 with Brie Larson. That was a, that was a student film whiplash that was mm-hmm. a student film before it became. So it kind of takes that concept, right? THX 1138. You know, that's, right, there you that's go. One of, that's one well, of the ultimate ones right there. You know? Right. Yep. Yeah. So it's kind of taking this idea, this kind of history, right, of, of some debut features that started as short films, making mm-hmm. it a competition. $250,000 for those that just aren't very familiar with movie making. That's not a lot of money, you know, to, to make to make a movie. So 
you know, explains how sometimes they're able to raise more funds based upon, you know, winning this competition. But the idea is, you know, so Millie is a very motivated kind of almost like micromanager type director, right? Mm -hmm. Hands on everything. And so at the end of the summer, before a winner is announced, the school goes under. So the guy, Ricky O'Neill, who runs the school, it's his film school, he is uh, arrested for fraud. He has been mm. stealing from the students' tuition. So, you know, the school's closed down and the students are sent home early. Seven months later, Millie is in Fargo, North Dakota. She's at her favorite movie theater. She's watching the coming attractions. She looks up and she sees a, a movie trailer that's right off the bat, it's very, very familiar to her. And mm. at the end, she realizes that this is her movie and it's the new Ricky O'Neill movie. He's stolen her script. He's made oh, it himself. Man. And because of the way that the film school is set up, he can do that legally. And he's, he, he doesn't even have to give her credit for it. So she, she goes to, goes to him, tries to convince him, you know, to at least give her some credits. He, he balks, he won't do it, but he gives her $20,000 to basically just go away, right? Kind of hush money. Gotta buy her out. Kind of thing, buy yeah. her out. Absolutely. So instead of taking that money and just going quietly, she, tracks down her heist crew, mm -hmm. excuse me, film crew, makes yeah. them her heist crew, and then they plan to steal the movie three days before the premiere and hold it for ransom. Oh, that so, sounds like so much fun. So it's super fun, <laughs> and it's taking kind of like their film roles and making them heist roles. So what do I mean yeah. by that? By like a director, right? A director mm -hmm. is like a mastermind, right? Yeah. It's, you know, all these different things you have to plan in advance, you know, you have to be one step ahead of everybody else. You have to keep them on schedule. You have to have the vision, right? And you have to communicate that vision to everybody mm -hmm. else. Yeah. You know, you have your, you know, a set designer, costume designer, makeup person, right? What does every great heist movie have or, or heist have, right? They all have costumes, right? They're painters, they're, mm -hmm. you know, carpenters, whatever, they're maintenance crew. So different things of that. So they take all their movie skills and put it into, into a heist. That's, that's, it's a lot of fun. It's very cinematic, but of course, you know, things, things go awry and then it's, you know, Millie and her crew learn, you know, that it's, it's not actually a movie. <laughs> this is real life and there are consequences, you know, and yeah. it kind of, kind of goes from there. So yeah, it's just a, just a fun book to, you know, like I said, kind of a hybrid of my two favorite genres mm. and kind of a love letter to, to movies and to heist movies. That's great, man. And now this, this may, this may seem like, you know, like the gushing of a fan or anything, but it sounds like something that I know, you know, Tarantino has been saying that he's got like one more film in him and then he's going to, you know, transition over to something else. Sure. It sounds like something that he would transition to in like a producing role, like oh, something sure. that he would. Yeah. Because like, <laughs> yeah. I mean, like it plays into all of his sensibilities. It plays into mm -hmm. movies, plays into heists. It pl it's going to have laughs. It's going to have fun characters. It's going to have, you know, like a, you know, really fun main character that, you know, he can really sink his teeth into and, mm -hmm. and, you know, and there is, there's a lot of fun. I mean, and, 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 yeah. And things do get violent. Oh yeah. Oh you know, yeah. And stuff. So yeah, absolutely. And, you know, and Tarantino's reference in the book is of Reservoir Dogs, um, mm -hmm. you know, and that's the thing too, that was kind of fun is, you know, so like a lot of times people think that, or people do, they go, they'll make a horror movie for their first movie. Yeah. And that's because it's a, it's a genre that can be done on the cheap side that has a built-in audience, right? Yeah. That's, I mean, honestly, today, in 
with with streaming, you have so many different avenues and so many different studios and houses that are clamoring for content. Mm-hmm. Um, that if you have a horror movie and it doesn't matter if it's about, you know, robotic, you know, robots from pizzeria from the eighties, or yep. if it's, you know, a remake <laughs> of, you know, the invisible man, or I just saw a preview the other day about like just a haunted pool, you know, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it doesn't really matter. Right. You yeah. know, there's, it, it looks intriguing. There's different ways you can do it and have fun with it. But another avenue that I don't think it's maybe recognized as much are, are heist movies. A lot of really mm-hmm. big name directors got their start. The Wachowskis, before they made, you know, the Matrix movies, they made Bound. You have Wes Anderson, right? Very quirky dude. His first movie was Bottle Rocket, which I believe. That might have been a short film, I think, as well. Yeah, it's, it's, yeah, I think, I think it started out as a short film and then it became a feature. Yeah. Yep. So, you know, you have, so Tarantino, like I said, Reservoir Dogs, Mm -hmm. Michael Mann's first movie was Thief with James uh, Conn. Thank you. You know, and that was in the eighties. So yeah, there's, there's really a history there. So it was, you know, it's, it wasn't the first book I wrote, but it's the first book that I sold. Yeah. (laughs) And so I think, so that's fun for me. You know, it's kind of my first story to be a, to be a high story. I feel like it's kind of walking along those lines of kind of the first, first people to, to tell their stories or their ability for storytelling. So yeah. So, so there's definitely also a nod to that as well. And, you know, in, in some ways it's, so one of, another one of my favorite movies, probably top 10 is Scream. Right. Mm-hmm. I love Scream. Again, prior to my environment, I was 11 when it came out. You know, oh, it was perfect. like it was yeah. the movie that we weren't supposed to see, you know, that we'd watch mm-hmm. before mom and dad came home. You know, friends, we were all watch. And for my generation, that was Robocop. OK, you know, Robocop sure. was was the rite of passage movie. It's always okay. just like, you know, how young were you when you saw it? Like I was 12. You know, which yeah, I was so yeah. on my 12th birthday. So, yeah. yeah, I think the. The, the the movie that was totally like the one that I was I saw way too young was my neighbors next door. They their parents were immigrants from India, mm-hmm. and so they were they were born and so the two kids were born there in the U.S. in Rockford, Illinois. But mm-hmm. like their parents just didn't really understand like American movies and just like mm-hmm. like they they had no concept really I think of like ratings. So yeah. we watched like kindergarten we were watching terminator 2 (laughs) you know like all of us just in you know the main room with the parents no big deal you know and then i couldn't even watch like mrs doubtfire until like you know second grade because it was pg-13 you know in my house i'm going next door so yeah i totally totally get that but scream was a big one for me and i think it was because they were acknowledging that horror movies was a genre in a horror movie and Mm -hmm. so kind of when I was piecing the outline for breaking in together because initially Millie, my main character, she was going to make a zombie movie and that's, and zombies actually come into play during the heist. And I won't say too much about that, but there, there, there is the, it does have zombies. Yeah. (laughs) So, but you know, kind of the, yeah, first she was going to make a horror movie. And then I thought, well, you know, this can kind of be like, you know, it's not like overly meta, but she, if she's going to make a heist, 
you know, she wants to write a heist script and then she wants to pull up a real life heist. She needs to be an expert in heist movies. Mm. So she kind of became like the Randy character in, in Scream, right? The guy that works yeah. at the video store and knows all the rules and stuff. So she knows all the rules. She's taken even farther than that. She gets super nerdy, which meant I got super nerdy, right? I have a spreadsheet somewhere that is just a mess because I've sorted it too many times. So all my numbers are skewed, but, but basically, you know, I documented over 150 heist movies and wow. to see, okay, how many open on like, you know, the legendary thief getting out of jail? How many yeah. open on a heist? How many are one last job? How many are, you know, heist, you know, the, the crew uses some kind of, you know, costume. How many is, you know, the false victory, right? You think they, they, they pulled off the heist, but you know, whoever they, they ripped off is, is on their tail. And it was just more so because I was watching so many of them and I didn't know how to like track, you know, the first like 10, I wrote like summaries and I was like, well, this isn't going to be easy for me to reference. I'm not going to read this long thing. So I kind of just, you know, got to this points and I don't do that anymore because I don't think it's like the funnest way to, to watch movies, you know, to just be able to kind of submerge yourself. But it was mm -hmm. really interesting for, for, you know, and, and fun for a while to, to, to keep all that in reference to it. So you know, when, when Millie gets her crew together and there's, you know, five of them, she knows how many heists, you know, based upon her data are successful. She knows how many have a double cross 71%. So she's, you know, making sure that not everybody knows all the details. She's the only one that knows everything, but you know, and so there's that kind of translates into her as a director, but then also just as a friend, right? She is 17. This is a coming mm -hmm. of age story. So how do you, you know, build relationships with your crew, with your friends, you know, by, by using data and numbers and not trusting people. So it's, right. yeah. So it kind of really plays upon that. And so that was kind of a, a fun moment when, you know, I've kind of took in the, the kind of scream kind of outline kind of world and, and apply that to, to heist movies and, and to this book. That's fabulous. Uh, that's uh, again, this sounds like so much fun. So I'm really looking forward to, to reading it myself. Now, the one thing that, that I always like to talk about here is what I call the lightning bolt moment. And that's sure. that moment in time when we all kind of experience something or meet someone, see something, hear something, read something, whatever. And it just makes you want to go in that direction and say, that's what I want to do. That's what my life is going to be. Now, oh, sure. your, your direction your direction makes makes a different jump, you know, makes a little detour mm -hmm. as life goes on. So what got you into wanting to be involved in film in the first place? Yeah. So kind of what I was referencing earlier, like I've just always had a strong, you know, attachment. desire, yeah. attachments, you know, nostalgia to, to movies. And, mm -hmm. you know, so right there with you. Yeah. So, you know, I think it really started when, so making that decision, you know, went to college. I had looked at some films, film schools, and I had decided, you know, senior year that, well, that might be really fun, but it, it, it wasn't practical, right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, and who knows, you know, when you're 17 years old and you're making these life decisions, you know, who knows what you're actually thinking at that time, you know? So I don't know. I, I remember thinking something like that. I went to, to college for a year just like, you know, undeclared. I took, you know, general courses. I hated almost all of them. You know, the only class I liked was English, was a creative, it was intro to creative writing. Oh. You know, I loved that class. I loved the, the, the books that we read. We read like Into the Wild, This Boy's Life. 
So it was different coming of age stories, right? So that really spoke to me. But like my sociology class, I even took like a theater class and like, I love going to the theater, but I found that really boring. And that just, that just isn't for me. And maybe it was the teacher. Who knows? This is 2003 dating yeah. myself. So, you know, but it just, I, I, or it could have just been maybe the class was at 9 a.m. and I wasn't getting up that oh. early. Who knows? <laughs> yeah. You know, so, but so I, I kind of just, I don't know, that first year stumbled, I guess, kind of just kind of went through it, you know, and, and, you know, went to class, but no real strong desire or anything like that. And I was up in, I was in Fargo at NDSU and I learned that you could take, you could take tri-college. So there's Minnesota State, Moorhead, which had a film department and then Concordia College. So I thought I would take a film class just, you know, because again, the desire was there. I decided not to. And it was a, one of the best classes I've ever taken in my life. It was a nice. film and novel class. So Ooh. you read the book and then yeah. the next week you watched the movie. And then oh, the discussion fun. was about like the adaptation process. Was so Godfather one of them? Godfather was not one of them. They were, ma- they were kind of like shorter books, like being there with Peter mm. Sellers we yeah. read. And that's a really short book. We did read Grapes of Wrath, but I don't think we had to read the whole thing. But my favorite one was One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. Ah, Ken um, Kesey. Yeah. Ken Kesey. Because the book, now it's been a while since I've read it, but the book has so many, you know, and probably because he was part of the Merry Pranksters, right? But yeah. so many hallucinogenic dreams that uh, Chief, right? Chief's the main character. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's told from his point of view in the book. And just, it was, it was just wild. And I was, I remember reading it. It was like, you know, and this was back when like Sopranos was like the number one, you know, TV show. So there wasn't like the golden heyday of TV that we've seen in the last decade or so, but there yeah. was some good TV, right? This TV was starting to get really good. And I remember thinking like, this would be a great TV show or a great, you know, miniseries or something like that. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, we watched the movie and of course the movie's classic Jack Nicholson, right? Yeah. I mean, this is, this is his iconic role. Louis and, Fletcher, you're like, Ooh. oh my gosh, right? So, but then watching that, you're, it was really eye opening to me to see, like, oh, this is because it's a different medium, right? And, mm-hmm. and because we have Jack Nichols, that's why, you know, you know, Murphy's going to be the, the lead in this. So it was, it was really interesting to me to see how you could have, because you always hear the thing, right? Like, the book is better than the movie. And usually that's Not the always. case. Well, right. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, and that's sometimes what you and I think so, that, I agree with that statement more when the movie is like super trying to be super faithful to the book, but doesn't Mm -hmm. quite pull it off because usually due to length. But I think when like with the movie and also you have Milos Forman, right? The incredible director behind Mm -hmm. like Amadeus and the man on the moon, you know, so he took his kind of perspective of it, you know, changed it. So you could have two separate really fantastic stories that are essentially the same story but totally different in its telling and mm-hmm. i thought that was really cool and just for me i just i started to think okay i want to do more movie making i want to you know kind of give it a shot i had a i have a my best friend he was all into it he decided hey let's go to new york there's this like one year filmmaking program the new york film academy so we went and did that at, you know one of the best years of our lives you know living mm-hmm. in new york not working just making movies you know oh, it was wow. great would not change yeah. it for a world if you know on hindsight a little you know now you know older i wish we had known more about the program and we knew a lot but i think i wish i had like 
really developed a, a student film script prior to going because mm-hmm. going there, you make so many shorts and then you have to make like, you know, your thesis film and you have to make like a 10 to 20 minute, you know, feature film. And you've already made like six other shorts. So you're kind of creatively spent. It's, it's just a lot in a very short of time if you haven't done that yet. So if you're thinking about going to film school and you've never gone, you know, totally, you know, if that's your passion, totally do it. Try to have an idea or some like rough outline of a script prior to going instead of going in there blind. I just think it would help. Uh, but anyway, absolutely loved it. Afterwards, you know, we both did, you know, PA stuff for a while. But, you know, for me, I got tired of living in my parents' basement, <laughs> right? Yeah. I've been, mm-hmm. you know, with my now wife, girlfriend for four or five years, I think at that point, you know, I wanted to get married. I wanted to be able to afford to ring. I couldn't even afford rent. So, mm. you know, I, I got a day job and the desire to, you know, make movies is always there. And me and my friend, we wrote a, we wrote a screenplay, which happens to actually be a, a, a heist <laughs> nice. uh, as well. You so, you know, but yeah, there was just over, over time, I started working for this staffing company and I went on vacation. I was, had been working like 60 hours a week and just spent and, you know, just really, really thankful for the the time off. And we went to visit my sister up in Alaska. This is me and my family. And on that, we spent a lot of time in the car. So I read a lot. And two of the books I read was The Hunger Games and The Girl with the Dragon Tattoo. Nice. And I remember thinking, I want to do this. I could do this. I could write something like this. And I know that seems really kind of pompous like i could write the hunger games i could write the girl with the dragon tattoo but i did think i could write something similar in vain yeah that was a kind of a thriller with you know really kind of badass you know female lead and um and so coming I, of age, you know, and, and the coming of age, right? So, yeah, certainly, you know, that's kind of where where uh, it started. And again, I actually started with a, a different book. I wrote two books. One was a sci-fi coming of age that essentially is like Terminator, but with aliens nice. <laughs> instead, of, instead of machines. It was fun, always good, always good. And the other one was, you know, more of a straight coming of age, but kind of a troubled teen. It was a comedy, and you know, I think I didn't get an agent with those, but I learned more from those books than. You know, just as much, if not more, than my MFA program. I did go back to mm. school to get my MFA mainly just because my employer paid, you know, for college tuition. I could go to school for free, and I thought, well, what a cool way! I'll, you know, talk with other writers and stuff. So that for me was, you know, so I kind of had two aha moments. Number one, it was taking that film and novel class. I want to make movies, and then number two, when that didn't, you know, work out but you're going on vacation and reading those books going, okay, but I could be a writer. I don't need a film crew or, mm-hmm. you know, a production High budget. company. Yeah. yeah. I just need Microsoft word and a keyboard. And mm-hmm. that's what's, you know, I think that was really eye opening. Liberating was I, I can do whatever I want with that. You know, mm-hmm. I had to teach myself how to write, you know, novels. And I had to more than anything, I had to teach myself how to, you know, have a, have a, a schedule, right? I think, you know, it's easy to call yourself a writer, but there's just like one key requirement and you have to actually sit down and write. And especially when when you're starting, that can be the most difficult. You know, I think I alluded earlier that just, or maybe this is before we started, but I just started another draft of a book I've been working on and I'm going to be changing some, some of the stuff up with one of the, with the, the lead and some of his character, you know, and, I spent a lot of my morning before talking with you kind of looking at the same two paragraphs, you know, kind of like, is this where I want to go? You know, but it's just like, 
Number one, just be in front of the page. You'll figure it out. Some days it totally flows. Some days you're, you know, if you get four sentences and you're going to delete those tomorrow, whatever, but it's still the process. It's still being in that world, right? Thinking yep. about your characters and that's just so vital. So I know. So that's what I had to teach myself and, and, and to be, to be strict about it and, you know, say that, you know, Seeing you're a writer is very romantic. I think people have this really romantic notion of being a writer, but it's a lot of hard work and it can also be like physically, like I've suffered really bad, bad shoulder and neck stuff. Right? I had to go to physical therapy just because I've been hunched over a desk for eight hours, you know, and I don't have the, the best posture when I do it, you know? Yeah. So, but that's, you know, that's real. And it's, it's anyway, it, it can be a lot of work. I'll, I'll get off my soapbox, but <laughs> that's kind of the deal is like, I don't think people realize you know, how involved it can be and how you have to say, like, my wife is just, she's an incredible woman. She's super supportive. There's no way I would have been published without her because she knows that in the, you know, on the weekends, my first three hours I'm writing, that's what I love breakfast. And then we can do whatever, you know, later on, but my morning is are spent writing that is dedicated to writing. And, you know, it's just, you just have to, you know, make that that time out. You absolutely do. Yep. Absolutely. Yeah. And that's as a writer, like that's something that I've always kind of struggled with myself, especially having gone through National Novel Writing Month this past this past month yeah, and getting as far as 20 percent to my goal. And then all of a sudden life has a way of getting in the way. Sure. And a lot of different things came around that kind of derailed my momentum. And mm-hmm. I'm very happy with the things that wound up resulting from that because it, one of them was a very big thing for my day job and sure. needed to happen. I needed to pass a certification exam and right. needed several attempts to really kind of get it, but I got it, you know, and okay. But, but at the same time, it was one of those things where just like, yeah, I, I think I'm, I don't think I'm going to make the goal, you know, this mm-hmm. time around. And then it, then it just became like, why the hell couldn't this whole event be in June? Sure. <laughs> it would just be like, cause everything just happens to fall on, you know, fall on our plates and everything during November. So you were able to kind of like tap into your own love and experience with film mm-hmm. and to give us this character. And also give us a little bit of of Midwestern elements as well, because mm-hmm. you have you know family as well f- from that, correct? Yeah, yeah. So I mean, in the book, so Millie, you know, she's seventeen, so she lives with her her mom and her stepdad. So there's yeah, there's a lot of humor, love filled pokes at my in laws, right? <laughs> you know, kind of about just like the the churches that we would go to, some of their, you know, activities, just things like that, right? And then just, yeah, I live in Minneapolis, but like I said, I went to school in Fargo. My wife is from Fargo, you know. It's really just kind of having that sensibility and and that kind of viewpoint and then what it's like to be kind of thrown into, first of all, just like the movie world and, Mm -hmm. you know, kind of this kind of New York atmosphere is, is, is so different. And, you know, I remember when I, I came home from, from New York, and the first time, just even be back in, in Minnesota, and then especially when I was in North Dakota, I was like, oh my gosh, look how many parking lots there are. There are just so many huge parking lots. And like, because mm-hmm. New York, there's like no parking lots, right? Everybody's right, no parking. Parking, yeah. no <laughs> yeah. parking. And it was just like, and, and it seems weird, like an odd thing to, to point out, but it was just like, look how vast and how much space is between everything and kind of yeah. stuff. So. And there's just something about kind of that, that, that atmosphere that kind of just triggers more creativity or not, I shouldn't say more creativity, but different kind of energy. That's what I want mm-hmm. to say. 
you know, so it was just, and, and that was me, you know, as a, as a 21, 22 year old. So just the idea of being 17 in those environments, I just thought, well, that's a lot of fun to play with kind of, you know, you have her in two different worlds. And then of course, right. Kind of the, the, the nature of story is those worlds colliding and what yeah. does that look like? And so that was, that was a lot of fun to play with. Awesome. Awesome. And so, so take us to the moment where you were able to write this particular, this particular story. And you said before that this was not the one that got you, got you your agent, the one that got, it wasn't the one that got published first. Well, it wasn't the one that, that, you know, that you had written first, but it was the one that got published first. Yes. Correct. So, so take us to that moment because this, this month is all about celebrating. Sure. We all want to have the moment that you had. I mean, granted, you know, like I've, I'm no stranger to this moment, so I know exactly how it feels. Mm -hmm. But I want to know what your feeling was getting the box that had your copies in hand. Sure. Absolutely. So it's funny you mentioned that because I have a a book event in two weeks and a publisher sent me a a box of books and I I got them yesterday. Mm -hmm. And guess what? It doesn't get old. Opening yeah. up a box and, and seeing your cover is is, is super fantastic. It's just mm-hmm. it's so much fun. Yeah. So, right. I wrote two books, didn't get an agent. And we're talking over 100 submissions, queer mm-hmm. letters, right? For yeah. each. I, I tried everything. You know, I was following agents on, on Twitter, you know, looking at, you know, if they were open to submissions, what they were looking for, you know. Were you I doing did. the were you doing the pitch wars and everything? Like I've uh, never done pitch war. I, I think just because I've <laughs> I've always been like a little tepid when it comes to Twitter, just because mm-hmm. I've seen <laughs> I don't know, it's just it's, I don't engage a it ha- lot. It I, has I, a I, it has a way of going downhill. It did. It, 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 it looks like it, yeah. It's kind of more of like a fun spectator sport for me, mm-hmm. you know. And I'm active on, on there. Uh, you know, I've got about three thousand followers, and it's fun nice. to. And, and most of those are fellow authors, right? And we promote mm-hmm. our books and that kind of stuff. So I think I've definitely gotten more involved since you know I've got something to to promote. But no, I've never done like pitch wars. I've never done the the writing in November. I, I think because for me that would seem. Like the word count, I used to write like that. And then when I had these issues, like I was saying my, my neck and back and I, I, I had to stop writing for about three months and go to physical therapy and everything for it. So now all of my writing is it's, it's, it's by the hour. I can sit yeah. in the chair during the week for two hours on weekends for three. And after mm-hmm. that, I have to stop. Even if I'm like flowing, I, yeah. I write down notes, say, Hey, this is where you want to pick it up, but I, I have to, I have to get up and be done for the day. Otherwise I'm just in pain. My neck starts hurting. It's just, it's bad. But anyway, so I haven't, I haven't done any of those yet, but for me, it was kind of that feeling. So I knew when I had finished breaking in that it was different, that it was, it it just felt like the story was more, was more whole. I I, Mm. I, I can't think of a better way to say that. I just feel that like everything it had all the different stuff that I've wanted to try in, in, in other books, you know, mm-hmm. just like the character arcs were there. The plot was there. I had my bookends for my opening and closing images. I just had all these things. And so I was feeling really confident about it. And Robert Kerbeck, who I mentioned earlier, he told me about Podmatch. He mm-hmm. also told me about this service called Writer's Relief. Oh, so, yeah. 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 You use that. So what they do, for those that don't know is if you're trying to 
they, they have a lot of services, but what I use them for is I was trying to get an agent. So mm-hmm. you fill out the submission form and it was 150 bucks when I did it. I think it's 200 now because I've told other people to do it and they've looked yeah. into it. So basically what it is, is you fill out like the summary of what your book's about, the, the different genres, even like to like how old your characters are, what states they take place and all that kind of stuff. And then they do some kind of equation or whatever behind the scenes. And then they present to you a spreadsheet with like 30 to 35 agents that would Mm -hmm. be interested in your book. So it's like their contact information, what you need to submit, you know, and then they can even help you with your query letter. I had somebody else help me with mine because I would love to write novels to the day I die. But query letters are the absolute worst. I just hate them. (laughs) Oh, they're they're awful. They're awful. They're just (laughs) awful. Um, so anyway, so I, I, I had filled that out. And again, you know, years and years of my other books and hundreds of submissions, you know, and I'd gotten requests, partials and fulls, you know, got my hopes up. Nothing happened. Felt devastated, felt frustrated, right? Didn't think this was ever going to happen. Wanted to quit. And like I said, it was just kind of a different vibe with this. And I got that, I got that list from Writer's Relief. I sent out the, the 30 submissions. I heard back within like two weeks. I had a couple nibbles right right off the bat. And I had one gentleman who no fault I well, maybe fault to writer's relief. He actually was not open to submissions, but I think his website said he was, but he said it wasn't mm. updated. But he had a new agent to his his firm that was looking to build up his client list and thought that he would really love this and would, you know, be all right with me if I if he sent the the novel to him. And I said, Ooh. of course, you know, yeah, so, yeah. Uh, so, you know, he read it, I think within a week, I, I, I got that, that email, right. That we all want, mm-hmm. you know, it says, Hey, I love this. I would, you know, I love, I'm making an offer uh, to represent you. So that was, that was huge. Right. That was a really nice. big moment. You know, you know, you, you just, I you, you gotta, you gotta celebrate those moments. Yeah. Too, yeah. When you absolutely. Them. Absolutely. Yeah. So, so we chatted, you know, we talked and he was upfront and honest. He's like, Hey, I've never sold a book. This is, I'm, I'm new to this, you know, it might take a little bit longer, but you know, here are the, here are the pluses with going with, you know, somebody that's not established. And, you know, so I'm trying to, you know, make a name for myself, but so is he. And, yeah. you know, so part of it is like, well, he's never sold a book, but neither have I. So, yeah. <laughs> you know, if we um, can so, sell one together. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, I talked with some other published writers and, you know, just kind of like on their thoughts. And, you know, one of my old professors, she said, you know, I had a top agent in New York and I wrote this book that I loved and I sent it to her and she sent it to five publishers, you know, the five big houses. They said no, and then she just she just shelved it. She said, "That's it. We tried. It's not going to work, right?" That's it. And, that's it. Exactly. Wow. You know, and you know, no. uh, somebody that's new, right? My agent was hungry, so mm-hmm. I, I signed with him. And yeah, you know, it took two years to sell the book. So we mm-hmm. got started, and we had some good momentum, and then COVID happened, so everything wow. just kind of shut down, right? So we stopped submitting it for like six to eight months. Then we got back into it. We had a really promising lead. Then we got ghosted by them. You know, I, so they asked for a revision. 90% of that revision is in the final product. Like, so I'm very thankful that they gave me these notes. I wish they would have, you know, read it or at least told me what they thought of it, but it helped me. It made a much stronger book. And then, so we took that book and then we submitted, you know, kept submitting it. And then we got, you know, the, the offer from Blackstone. So that was, that was, you know, a big moment. So, 
they, so basically we were just kind of like at a point where we're like, okay, let's send these out and then let's kind of regroup after like, we'll regroup after the holidays because towards the end of the year, you know, it's kind of things get kind of put on hold. So anyway, so they sent it out and right away, like I think the day of we heard back from Blackstone that they were, they wanted the full request and they wanted to know that the, if the movie rights are still available, ah. uh, you know, sort of like, yeah, cool. They get it. This would be a mm-hmm. fun movie too. So anyway, so after like three weeks, they were like back, you know, so-and-so had read it. They had passed it up. So-and-so had read it. They passed it up. Um, yeah, I, it was the night before Thanksgiving, 2021. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I, I told my age, I was like, look, if they pass, don't, don't tell me. Cause I, I don't want to have a depressing Thanksgiving holiday, you know, whatever. Mm-hmm. Just tell me next week. And so he called me the night before Thanksgiving. He said, well, you didn't say I couldn't call you if you had good news. So it was, you know, it was cool. They made the offer. <laughs> so, you know, that was super fun. Of course, I told my family the next day, you know, and then. It took about like three or four months, I think, to finally like hash out the contract. We got that signed. And then it was just, it's just been an absolute delight. They've been, you know, a lot of fun to work with. I got cover approval, which I like oh. here never happens nice. for debut writers. So I got to work with their graphic designer. I've gotten to work with their marketing team. Wow. Um, you know, they've helped schedule, you know, I've done, I've done three book signings so far. I've got another one coming up in a couple of weeks. I got to go on North Dakota today, which is a local TV show in, in North Dakota. That mm-hmm. was a lot of fun. We did like an eight minute, it was like an eight minute segment of me on TV, like almost like I'm doing like a, a cooking demonstration, but I'm Sweet. talking about my book. Yeah. It was a yeah. lot of fun. It was really nerve wracking, but yeah, it was cool. So yeah, it's just been, it's just been a lot of fun since then. You were able to get a recording of that, of that new segment, right? Oh yeah. Yeah. It's still, okay. I mean, I think it's still on YouTube, but yeah, oh, fabulous. Yeah, it sent to me as well. Fabulous. And so with that in mind, you've got, you, you were able to make this jump and mm-hmm. you got, you got the book out there. It's out there now. It's on, it's on shelves and everything. And a uh, huge congrats for that Thank as you. well, by the yeah. way, because like I said, this book sounds like a whole lot of fun. I'm looking forward to reading it and I, and I'm pretty sure that my listeners are also looking forward to reading it. So that's going to, that's going to be great. And so with that in mind, they asked flat out, you know, are, are the movie rights still available? Now, what yeah. I'd like to know from you is if something were to happen, if there was some sort of an opportunity, because now, you know, like now there are possibilities for getting your work out there in all different forms, mm-hmm. whether it's streaming, whether it's on the big screen, right. whether it's, you know, an indie film, like whatever the case, there are a whole lot of new options that, uh, that the typical filmmaker did not have back in, you know, back, like, say, 20 years ago. Right. Even um, 10 years ago. Even 10 years you ago. Know? Yeah. Yeah. yeah sure. There's a there are a whole lot, lot of more advantages right now. Would you be would you be open to getting, you know, giving someone else a chance to kind of adapt this material or, or would you be just like, I, if would part of the deal be, I want to be the one to do the screenplay? Sure. Yeah. You know, I think it really depends upon who was at the table. You know, I love the idea of, so Millie is a, you know, first time want, want to be, you know, female director. And I would love to see somebody that has, you know, established themselves in either like 
TV or even like music videos. You know, I was, I, I caught the new Hunger Games movie last week. And, uh, you know, I think those are, again, the Hunger Games, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. right? Talk about reading that. And I just think they're, they're, they're fun movies. But the guy who directed the last three or four, his name is Francis, Francis Lawrence. Lawrence. Yeah. yeah. And like, for me, I think of him as he's a music video director. He, mm. I remember like him on like making, like making the, making the video. I think that's what it was called. And I can't even remember like what videos he made, but I know that's where mm-hmm. he got to start. So I always think yeah. of him because I remember Constantine was like his first debut. And oh, it was like, right. and I was like, Oh, okay. Yeah. This is the music video guy. So, feel like maybe he did nine inch nails that's probably wrong but anyway but so i would love to see somebody that is hungry you know to kind of prove themselves to make something you know and mm-hmm. take this story about a character like that and kind of channel that energy into it so yeah. in those kind of instances i would honestly like love to maybe kind of hear a little bit about you know what what they were thinking and you know i would you know, love to be a fan of their previous work, but really just kind of let them take the reins. And as long as like, you know, they don't make it a, a, a space heist or <laughs> totally change, you know, like the, yeah. the whole fabric, like all of a sudden it's like a space opera. I would love to just see what they could do with it. And I know it's not, you know, kind of the traditional sense, but I've seen a lot of, you know, movies that are tooth faithful to the book. And mm-hmm. I'm like, man, I, I already, I know this story. I read this yeah. story, you know, it's think, based on the novel. It's not right. the novel. Yeah, yeah. You know, I think they're different mediums, right? You mm-hmm. have a different, it's a visual medium. It's, you know, if it's a movie as opposed to a series, right? We're talking length. So you have to condense and how do you condense that? Right. And this goes back to my favorite, favorite class I've ever taken, which is the adaptation class. It's just like, okay, if you have all these scenes, what themes do they play on? How can you, you know, get the audience to react to those themes, but in, you know, fewer scenes and how can we, you know, what do we cut? What do we explore? You know, and, and I would be really interested, I think just to just watch somebody take that and put their own spin on it. Having said that, if it was somebody, and I I don't know who this would be, but just somebody who, I don't know, I didn't necessarily love their previous work or maybe, maybe love, you know, cause I, at the end of the at the end of the day, it will be my say on you know who we would sell the rights to. That's part mm-hmm. of my contract with my publisher is you know I get the final approval. But you know, so the, the idea was I, I wouldn't sign with you know somebody just to get it made. You know, if I didn't like if I didn't think it was going to be quality, right? Having said that, if it was like a situation where maybe it was a really good offer and part of that offer was for me to be involved, then I think sure, you know, yeah. I think I would really. I wouldn't want to make the movie. It's been a long time since I've been like on set. I don't really, I've been, you know, really focused on, on story and, and novelization and novels for the past couple of years. I would mm-hmm. love to be part of the screenplay because even for part of my novels, I write parts and segments in screenplay format just because again, it's a different medium. And it's so for me, it can be really like your, your dialogue has to be more, has to carry more weight. Right. You have to get to the point sooner because, you know, you can go on three or four pages in a novel. If you do that, it's a big scene. It's a big dialogue scene and, and yeah. you lose your audience when, you know, you're watching. So it's got to be 
you know, your dialogue has to be on point if you're going to ask your audience to sit there for five minutes and just have people talking at each other. Yeah. Um, so like things it's, like yeah, that. It's got you know? a, it's got to crackle. It's yeah, got to, exactly. It's got to crackle. It's got to carry weight. It's got to move the plot. There's so many different things it has to do. It can't just be exposition. So yeah, it, it just, it really just kind of depends upon what the offer was, who was involved. Again, I don't think I, I, I wouldn't want to direct it. I would love to see somebody, you know, again, make their kind of debut and, you know, I could, I could learn from them. I could watch that kind of process. So yeah, it just, it just kind of depends, but I'm, I'm really open to, to the adaptation process and whatever that would look like. And they definitely need to be someone who is a fan of that genre. Absolutely. Because like there was, totally, yes. there was, there was a great, there was a great interview on one of the many extras of the original Nightmare on Elm Street DVD box set where Jack Shoulder, the director of Elm Street 2, was, uh, said that there are two kinds of horror directors. There are the ones that, that, that work on, that work on, on a project to get into horror for the love of the genre. And then there are the other ones, like you said before, who, want to get in and everything because it's easy to get in, but they right. also have ideas on what to do outside of that genre. Right. And he said, Wes is the former and I'm the latter. And I was just like, I get it. You know, I, mm-hmm. I definitely get what, what you mean by that. And at the same time, Jack Shoulder would go on to do the hidden. So, you know, he's got, he, he's, he still has that horror element right. to his stuff. So, so there's, he's got to have, have picked up more of the love of that genre at that time. But, yeah, like you, you definitely don't want to get in, don't want to get in someone who is saying like, I'm doing this because heist movies are popular and I want to get into the business. Right. Like, Absolutely. So if it was like, so if it was like a Christopher Nolan esque director, mm-hmm. because if yeah. it was Christopher Nolan, of course I would say, yes. <laughs> yeah. I'd say you like, do whatever yeah, the hell what you, you want. want sir. <laughs> yes, of course. But if it was like somebody that was like had a very, you know, I don't know. Tense, humorless kind of interpretation of mm-hmm. this novel. I don't know necessarily that I would sign off on that because mm. there is a lot of heart to this book. There's yeah. a lot of wit, right? That's the that's one of the kind of bigger joys that I've uh, been getting from. Like, you know, don't focus on reviews and that kind of stuff. It yeah. is fun to when people just met, you know, mention like. I, you know, the humor in this is great. There's a lot of wit. It's, it's interesting to see what people you don't know and that are not your beta readers, mm-hmm. what stands out to them, right? You know, because I think there are different things that I think are my strengths, you know, that I try to play on. But it's just nice when you hear kind of a different perspective and you're going, oh, okay, I did that. You know, I did that correctly or that worked out as I was hoping to. And it's just, it's, it's, it's fun to get that kind of feedback. So, yeah. Awesome. Awesome. And what, what, what one thing would you advise to other writers who are in that sort of position as you are? They, they've taken, they've taken some life lessons. They've gotten some experience about something and they want to make that detour into novel writing they're not exactly sure really where to get going what's the one thing that you would recommend to them that they do yeah if you want to write novels figure out who are your influences like who Mm -hmm. are you really drawn to and then really try to figure out why so like stephen king is one of my favorite writers Mm -hmm. and 
I am not huge into like the fantastical elements of a lot of his books. You know, like I think he can be scary. I don't get scared a lot in, in, in novels. And I know that really sounds awful to say that <laughs> <Stephen King> doesn't, <laughs> doesn't scare me, but right. I love Stephen King for his characters and yeah. it's the way that he presents them that always really draws you in. So like the stand is my favorite book. And, you know, it's a 1200 page novel or something like that. It's epic. And yeah. It's epic. And so first of all, if you're going to read it, get it on your Kindle. But, <laughs> you know, I read it, uh, my wife and I, we went on, we took a two week vacation during Christmas time to, to Germany and Amsterdam. And it was, it was fantastic. And, you know, I had that and I found myself, you know, like eager to get back into it. And it wasn't because, oh, you know, now they're fighting you know, they're, they're, they're killing each other, all this stuff. It was just like, oh, I want to know what these characters are doing or so-and-so is going to meet, you know, the, what is it? The, the garbage man or <laughs> whatever, right. it, you know? So it was like, oh my gosh. Oh, you know, trash can man. Yeah. Trash can man. Thank you. You know, yeah. and, and those, those characters, you know, interacting with each other and, and everything. And so, yeah, that, that for me is, is, you know, and I think to a point I write like, you know, my dad was the first one to point it out. I, I think even before I made the connection, like, you know, some of this is similar to what King's doing, but I don't write horror. It's just in how like the characters and kind of the, the, the flow of words and of ideas, you know, and then since then I have found that I'm really drawn to, to crime novels. William Boyle is one of my favorites. Peter Swanson is one of my favorites. And, but, but why? And it comes down to characters and how, you know, they both use primarily third person point of view, which is what I use, but it's a close third. So you're still getting those, the, the characters, you know, perspectives. Nice. So that was like, okay, that was like a teaching moment for me was why am I driven to these? And, you know, how so for like, for William Boyle specifically, it's his, it's his characters, but it's also his very cinematic descriptions. And he does it in a very concise way. So for me, that was, oh, okay, this is, you know, these couple lines here is what's setting all that up and giving me the visuals. And I'm a very visual storyteller as well. And that, that comes, I think, from the movie world, you know, transitioning from that medium. So 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 that's why. So my one advice is if, if you, you know, know that you want to write novels, make sure you know or, or try to figure – I mean, you can figure it out as you're going. And I think you're going to, right? You'll, mm -hmm. you'll start to see what works and what doesn't. But have a general sense of why are you driven to to use this medium and what is it about this medium in particular that makes you want to explore it and then find those that have done it well that you know you want to do similar and and I think sometimes people can hear this and go oh so you're telling me to like copy somebody else's style and I'm sorry that that will never happen because you're not that person we're not right. AI your own perspective and your own style is going to come through. There's just no way to go about it. You know, mm -hmm. um, uh, I remember reading or uh, hearing a long time ago, Hunter S. Thompson, you know, Fair and Lowly in Las Vegas. He, he wanted to learn to write when he was in, I think it was maybe college or so. He rewrote the great Gatsby. Like he literally like opened the book up the great Gatsby and then typed the whole thing out. So he could wow. like teach himself. Right. Yeah. So he's one of the few, you know, that have done something like that. But even then, I don't think anybody is ever going to say Fitzgerald and Hunter S. Thompson have the same voice. Right? right. So he went and did that, but no matter what, because he's Thompson, because he's his own person, his mm -hmm. own voice shown through. So you can, you can study these influences, but your own voice is always going to come through. That's great. And 
where can my listeners find you on social media? Yeah, I'm on uh, Instagram. I have a Facebook page and on, I'm going to call it Twitter, X, whatever. Whatever it is. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, definitely those are different ways you can engage, you know, primarily, especially if you're in the kind of Midwest area, Instagram is and Facebook is where I post like my events that I'll be attending. And then also I have a website that has all of my podcast appearances, has the new segment that I was on. And then of course, where you can, you know, pick up the book, which, you know, is, is available at bookstores, available on Amazon, it's on bookshop. And then also, you know, one thing is, it's been really fun about all of this and not something you necessarily think about when you're a novel writer mm-hmm. is sometimes you get an audiobook and mm-hmm. Blackstone started as an audiobook company. So they are like really like they're like the go to people for this. So yeah, it was a lot of fun to get all of a sudden one day, you know, to have a couple actors you know, voicing, you know, these characters. And really it was just a totally different, you know, perspective for me. I had to listen in the car because I Mm -hmm. felt that like, if I listened at home, I would want to like write stuff down because a a writer's like, no matter what, like that's the best part about publishing is like, I'm done. I can't do anything else with it. Right. (laughs) It's out of my hands. (laughs) I I can finally move on to the next thing. Cause you're always like, "Ah, I don't know about this word or that. And you know, it's, it's micro, you know, picking, but so yeah, audible Amazon, they have, the audiobook version, which has gotten great reviews of two very fantastic narrators that read the book. And yeah, big shout out to, to them, Patrick Lawler and Jesse Valinsky. They, they mm. just totally elevate the book to a whole nother, whole nother level. Nice. I was hoping that, th- that that would be available on audio because I'm yep. a uh, narrator myself. So I've, I've, you know, have, you know, some experience in, in that field and I'd, knew that this would be a lot of fun to hear as an audiobook. It's so a very fun audiobook. Yeah. I, yeah. I, I was, I was not pleasantly surprised. Again, it was just something I didn't really stop to think about. Right. Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden I was like, Hey, here's, you know, kind of like a, like a radio play of your book. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's, yep. it's, it's just a lot of fun. So, yeah. Awesome. Awesome. I am so excited for, for reading this and can people get copies from your own uh, website as well? Can they get from you directly? Well, on my website, it, it does take you links like Amazon or some booksellers. I, I don't personally sell the book, but gotcha. Yeah. yeah. Okay. But there are uh, links to, to get it on uh, Amazon and bookshop. Nice. Yeah. Nice. And I hope that, that all of you fellow authors have been listening. It's all about getting your, you know, f- figuring out what influences you in terms of style, but also in terms of your own experience and taking everything there and putting it out onto the page dedicating the time to do it because it's not going to get done if you don't sit down in front of the keyboard or in front of your pad and pen or whatever you have, you know, just to get it out there. And it's also all about just putting in the work, being persistent, and you will see your style shine through and you will see those results that you've been wanting to see as long as you put in the work. So for Tyler Schwanke, this is George Soroy saying to all of you, Ever Upward, and I will see you next week. Thank you very much for listening to this episode of Excelsior Journeys. I hope it was both inspiring and entertaining. Special thanks to Zach Comtois for providing new music for the intro and outro. 
please take a moment to leave a rate and review on Apple Podcasts. And if you enjoy the show, please share it with your friends and subscribe to your platform of choice by going to he'sgotit.com slash podcasts. While there, you can also fill out the application to be a guest, inquire about sponsorship opportunities, and click on the Buy Me a Coffee link if you wish to give your support to the show. All interaction is very much appreciated. If you have a question, comment, or suggestion for the show, please direct it to george at he'sgotit.com.